1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Join more of the things you
2: love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. Very excited about what we're able to accomplish tonight. Um, I think we got a receiver that's going to come in and be an immediate impact player for us. Uh, As we got to 25, we had... uh, enough names on the board uh, for us to
1: move down to 31 and then still get our player uh, at 31. Uh, that also gives us enough ammunition so tomorrow there's a lot of depth through this second and third round and uh, hopefully look forward to manipulating
2: uh, tomorrow up the board to try to go get some more significant players that was Minnesota Vikings general manager Rick Spielman, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Myron Metcalf here for two hours today to break down what happened yesterday in the NFL draft and then what we expect to happen tonight. Uh, Myron, I would just want to start right away. We'll get all your reactions on everything, I promise you. But I want to start right away as there is more buzz with the Trent Williams trade idea that Washington wants a second round pick. So a pick for tonight. I want to start out with what I think is a better idea than the Trent Williams trade. Are you ready for this?
1: I'm ready. Okay.
2: To get a tackle in the second round. There, I did it. I I, saw okay. I got a better idea. As okay. much as I respect Trent Williams and what he's done in the NFL, we are talking about a guy in his 30s with a significant injury history who's going to want a lot of money. That is hard to justify it, rather than using all of this draft capital that you have – 1,400 draft picks in the 7th round and 6th round and 5th round, uh, rather than using some of that to move up to take Ezra Cleveland of Boise State or Josh Jones of Houston, I, I think that that's a much better idea to slide up into the middle of the second round, get your tackle, and then continue to develop that person along with Garrett Bradbury and Brian O'Neill and potentially have that for a long time. I think that's a better idea than trading away a second or maybe even a third round pick for Trent Williams, considering what it's going to cost.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like that, especially with Ezra Cleveland being available, Josh Jones being available to this point. I think, uh, you know, getting young guys in who have graded pretty high would make a lot of sense. I, I, I will say. That the idea of a proven commodity and Trent Williams is still intriguing to me. I understand the injury history and the age and all those things, but like the NFL is on two year cycles now, right? So the idea of a guy coming in making a big impact, uh, if he fortifies that offensive line and then you get to the end of the next couple of years with Kirk Cousins and kinda have to figure out what what's next, but you've had a lot of success, there's some momentum there. Uh, the idea of bringing in young talent, that's kind of been the Vikings way and it hasn't always been successful. So I think Josh Jones being there, Ezra Cleveland may, maybe being there. Uh, certainly those are solid picks. I haven't given up on the Trent Williams potential trade. I, I still think it's something like you have to at least keep it on the table, uh, at this point.
2: It's a reasonable idea. You can justify it pretty easily by saying, "Look, you have a quarterback who holds onto the ball for a very long time, and he gets sacked a lot, and you need to beef up the offensive line as much as you possibly can." But there is a part of me that thinks about, you know, the the downside to this type of move is that it blows up entirely in your face because the guy hasn't played football in a really long time. And, oh, wait, you signed him to a five-year contract extension for $17 million a year. Uh, There's a lot of risk involved much more, in my mind, than getting a very solid tackle in the draft in the second round. And, yes, that might not work out, or it might, and be Brian O'Neill. And there's a point to be made about Riley Reef too. That Riley Reef is not a great left tackle. He's not what Trent Williams was. He's not David Bakhtiari or, you know, Lane Johnson or Jason Peters or somebody like that. But in terms of his pro football focus grades, where he ranks, he was 26th last year in the NFL out of, I think, 54, out of 60. So he was still a top-half offensive tackle. Guys that had similar grades were Andrew Whitworth, who's dropped off a little bit. Orlando Brown from the Ravens is a pretty good player. Taylor yeah. Lewan is a little bit ahead of him. And Brian O'Neill and Reef were about on the same page. We noticed that Riley Reef has his problems in part because every time he goes up against an elite rusher like Khalil Mack, he gets toasted. Which most people do. Uh, yeah. But But, you know, a major part of where Kirk Cousins got sacked from last year was not on the outside. I think that they had solid tackle play last year and it was the guards that were uh, in the center that were abominable at times when they played against really good teams. So I'm not saying that I've shifted entirely off this idea. I just think if you're taking some of that massive draft stock to just slide up a bit to take a a guy who's 21 or 22 years old that you can develop behind Riley Reef for a year and then hand it over to him, or in the case of Ezra Cleveland, start him at guard, left guard, and then move him out to tackle after next year, I I like that plan better than locking myself into a a risky commodity.
1: I I think that that philosophy works a lot better with a front office and and a staff that feels like they have security. Yeah. Where where I think that this particular group, I'm not sure how they're viewing things. You know, you land a guy like Justin Jefferson, that's a a win-now kind of guy who already boosts your wide receiving core. Uh, You know, this is the kind of team that I think can't really – Consider 2021 like 2020 is is it, you know, and I think that's where the the Trent Williams idea might have more momentum uh, behind the scenes just because you've you got to do something now. I, I don't know. You know, the the thing about what the Packers did in, in getting Jordan Love, the, the challenge there is like Matt LaFleur. Fine. If you're going to develop this guy and you think you can, what makes you think you're going to be around like considering the way that the NFL is dismissed? coaches over the years you don't know what's going to happen i just think rick spielman i think mike zimmer want to win now and it's going to be hard to look at a guy like trent williams if there's an opportunity to bring him in and yeah the time off could be a negative thing it could also be a guy who's been injured recovering yeah. maybe his body has needed something like this so i think it has to be on the table but here's the here's the, the reality whether it's that whether you end up with a Josh Jones, you continue to get better. And you continue, to me, to grade pretty high in this draft. Either of those situations would uh, continue that.
2: Yes, so we'll keep an eye on the Trent Williams situation. But I guess I, I've I've slid back a little bit on this with the way that the board played out last night. I thought Josh Jones was going to be a first-round pick. And the fact that he wasn't gives you an opportunity to get him. And I even think that Ezra Cleveland might be the fit for the Vikings, considering he is he is big, he's six six and three hundred and eleven pounds. But his combine That's is it. almost exactly like Brian O'Neill. I mean, I mean, those two guys next to each other, you'd be hard to tell which one is which, except for Cleveland weighs a little bit more. Um, but somebody who could potentially play that guard position next to Riley Reef and be big enough at six six and three hundred and eleven pounds to challenge some of those guys, but also athletic enough uh, to be able to move and fit in the zone system, and then eventually have the potential to be your franchise left tackle like that all sounds right to me and the other thing you have to kind of work it into well we've got to win in 2020 but win in 2020 type of moves we know that those are the riskiest of all moves i mean if you go through the history of even free agency in the nfl and who spends the most money and how that ends up working out um, you know, it's good to have a, a rookie quarterback contract to be able to get a Sammy Watkins or a final piece. But a lot of times what you see is teams desperately signing a bunch of players because their you know, general manager or coach feel like they're on the hot seat and then it blows up in their face. And, you know, I, I think even some moves that we saw, like, you know, as high as Justin Herbert went, that feels like some desperation from the Chargers to get something exciting and not getting a prospect who really belonged at that draft slot. Um, That, that, you know, that's what it felt like to me. And the same thing, even with them trading up for Kenneth Murray, like really a linebacker at this point, you're trading up for him. Uh, Okay. Um, Seemed a little (laughs) bit on the desperate side. And that's where you make big mistakes. So I I think you have to kind of get over a lot of humps of logic and ignore a lot of things that could go really wrong with the Trent Williams idea to make it a better plan than getting Ezra Cleveland or Josh
1: Jones. I guess that's how I'm kind of, Thinking of uh, it. Yeah, but I would, but I guess I would argue that NFL offseason situations like NFL teams aren't a monolith. I mean, they all have different circumstances that they have to address. And, you know, a, a team banking on 2020 because there was a lot of hype for your team a year ago and maybe you didn't live up to it and you're a younger coach or younger staff and you feel like you've got to prove something. That's one situation. That ain't the Vikings. I mean, this is a team mm-hmm. that, yeah. a group that's had a lot of time to build, uh, a group that has approached the mountaintop. They didn't get there, but they could see it. So now you're trying to prove that based on everything that's happened in the last three years, which is nothing short of of a decline from where you were in 2017 and what you thought you'd achieve, how do you continue to to get better after losing one of your best defensive players, potentially losing one of your best offensive players since Define Diggs, 2020 Mm -hmm. feels like a situation where you go – You've had a lot of chances to to build a, a contender. You've had a lot of chances to prove that there can be consistent momentum here. And if 2020 is a letdown, I don't care if you get Trent Williams or Josh Jones or both of them, you're going to have problems if you're trying to keep your job. So I think you can't compare... Minnesota and their 2020 situation to just any other team in the league, because this feels to me like the end of a pretty long race. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there going, how are you going to finish? You're going to sprint to the end. You're going to jog. You're going to get out of the race. How are you going to finish this thing? And that to me is why a Trent Williams for folks in that position who feel like our only way to win against good teams in 2020 is by making sure that the guy behind that offensive line is protected and has enough time to do what he does best. That's why I think he's going to be an option, if it's on the table. If it's on the table, I think the Vikings will strongly consider that move.
2: And, and I think that you don't want your people to be in this position, that you don't want your uh, general manager and head coach to feel like they're in a spot where if they don't make panicked moves to try and win now, that they're just going to be fired because that is the, the biggest Way you can get mistakes in the NFL draft and yeah, in free true. agency and overpaying uh, for guys and things like that and taking risks that you normally wouldn't. I think uh, if you are an ownership, you want your people either feeling secure, like they can make the smartest and most shrewd and prudent moves possible, or you're fired and here's someone else. Like pick one. Don't put them on the hot seat and and force them to either think toward a future they might not have or um, you know make desperate desperate moves in order to. Try and hang on to their jobs. I mean that that just doesn't seem to me like that is a smart way to manage. So you either tell these guys, but who
1: put them there, Kyler? Though who put them there? Well, what do you mean? Who put them on the hot seat? I
2: I know that they put themselves on the hot seat by not getting back to the NFC Championship, but they also won ten games last year in a playoff game. But yet we haven't gotten the doubling down on Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer in the form of a contract extension, and that's that's where I think all right, either tell them that they've got some job security here or don't. Uh, but putting them in the other position, it, that is where you end up making mistakes that can have an impact for a very long time.
1: I, I would agree. I mean, it's it's not a, a great situation, but I also think it is the situation that has been you know, created uh, to this point. And I don't know that I understand the longevity concern, the injury history, I don't know that bringing in a Trenton Williams, you're suddenly deviating from your plan to build momentum into into the future. I mean, I think there are a lot of offensive linemen in this situation, in their early 30s, who kind of little by little diminish right in their skill sets. But I think having a Justin Jefferson, having you know, depending on how how long uh, Kirk Cousins is around, like you've got a lot of younger pieces where you can get this thing rolling for a number of years. I just think. This is a group that feels like, you know what, yes, we get to the playoffs and beat the Saints, the NFC is kind of retooled here, a lot of things could happen, let's go after it because we don't know what's what's coming. And it, it's not, 100%, it's not an ideal situation. I'm with you there. But in that scenario, I don't see any team or any coach or any leader going, doesn't matter, it's not an ideal situation, let's help this team in the future because that's what's most important. That's what you would do, right? But you're not in that situation because you want to keep your job. And that, to me, is why if a guy like Trent Williams, who at his best, right, at his best, this guy's really, really good, right? You know the injuries. You know all the other challenges he's had. You know, hasn't played football in a long time. But if you get that Trent Williams, like the dude he's capable of being, that guy changes the culture of your team potentially, just considering his skill set. So I just think the situation they're in – it's just something that you'll have to consider. Not that Josh Jones or Ezra Cleveland aren't great options, great young options, but they're both number two to me uh, compared to a Trent Williams getting him to Minneapolis.
2: You know, the last time Trent Williams played 16 games, you know when that was? I bet it was four or five years ago or something. Was 2013 was the last time he played. Now he played 15 in 2014, but that is the last time that Trent Williams has played an entire season was in 2013. And, uh, you know,. It, that That's my, my point here to go along with this, too, that Field Yates of ESPN tweeted out the offensive lineman in terms of average money per year uh, after Laramie Tunsil just became the highest paid uh, tackle in the NFL at $22 million per year. Lane Johnson at 18, Anthony Costanzo at 16.5, Tread Brown 16.5, Taylor Lewan 16, Nate Solder 15.5. Like, it is not just, um, having to sign him to an extension. It's having to sign him to a very expensive extension. A lot of money. Right. So you, lot of money. you have to have that in place before you even trade with, uh, Washington, which is a part of a potential hold up here, um, because he's probably not going to play on the contract that he currently has. So you have to sign him to an extension that is going to be in terms of average value in the range of a top five. Like Trent Williams is not saying, no, it's okay that Nate Solder is paid higher than me. Like, no way. Yeah. He's yeah. going to, he's going to want to be in that range. And that's where it just is. Hard to call a smart move. Like, Is it a move that has the potential to work out really well for you? Of course. But it goes under the category of walking a tightrope, where if you slip off the side of that tightrope and he plays six games for you and isn't that great, then you have spent a huge amount of your cap space and put yourself in a tremendously bad situation where the odds of drafting Ezra Cleveland – who is a great athlete like Brian O'Neill and he's got, he's got kind of a high floor that even if it doesn't work out, he could still be a decent player. Like, like that is, it's, it's more safe. The higher ceiling is certainly with Trent Williams, but the risk is very, very serious. Um, so I think that trading up today is an option to get someone like Ezra Cleveland rather than yep. taking this route. Because if I'm, if I'm Rick Spielman, I know that my job is probably in jeopardy, but I think I just have to keep doing my job the way I'm going to do it. So like last night, they didn't trade up to try and get Jerry Judy or they didn't trade up and spend a bunch of their draft capital. And I think that that was an advisable and good move. They stayed patient. They traded down and it played out tremendously well for them. They did not come across as panicked last night, Myron.
1: It's difficult to come across as panicked when you have five, you know, first round legit receivers with a high grade. You know, I think, I I think to me, the circumstances put them in a really good position. And and then you get a really good cornerback in a group of, you know, good cornerbacks. To me, round two is actually the real test, if you ask me. I mean, that to me is where, okay, what's their philosophy and focus? How desperate are they to get offensive tackle? Uh, you know, are they going to try to fortify the defensive line? I, I think. Everything you're saying about Trent Williams, I understand, especially the financial component. And, and right now, you know, you're you're like a guy who's in an office and you're looking at the budget and you're going, OK, this is good. This isn't good. That's good. This isn't good. Like those concepts and philosophies work in a vacuum. But there are emotions attached to this thing that you can't mm-hmm. deny. Yep. And, and I think the idea of you know we have a chance to take this 10 win team that got to the playoffs beat the Saints on the road to bring in one of the better offensive linemen in the entire league and to get better now emotionally that's a difficult thing for leaders to resist mm-hmm. uh especially when That's the one area, one of the most important areas on the field. But that's the one area where you're like, we just haven't been consistent ever. Like we just haven't felt comfortable during this entire tenure in like a a two or three year stretch at that position. So I think it'll be I think it'll be appealing. And you're right. You could sign Trent Williams, pay him a bunch of money and you go, man, what the heck was that for? Why would you give that guy that much money? It wasn't worth it. But you could also draft Ezra Cleveland or Josh Jones and go, we had a chance to get a veteran offensive lineman, and now Kirk Cousins is taking more sacks. The offense isn't as good. So, like, you could play in both worlds of extremes. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Either way, when that season starts, whenever that is, you want to know that your offensive line is better and hopefully significantly better. Josh Jones, Ezra Cleveland, maybe that is what does that. Maybe those are the pieces who give you what you want. But I think Trent Williams, although there are a lot of risk. You don't have any questions about whether or not you're going to get better and significantly better if you had a guy like that.
2: Yeah, so th- I think there will be opportunities to trade up and take a tackle today, uh, and there will be opportunities still on the table to trade for Trent Williams. But if I'm the Vikings, I'm not doing it for a second-round pick. like that. Washington just does not have enough leverage, does not have enough buyers, and uh, if it's anything higher than our second, third-round pick, and I'm Rick Spielman, I'm saying, I'm sorry, you're just not getting that from me. And I think a fourth-round pick is much more because that's um, what happened in the Gronk situation where Gronk wasn't going to play unless he went to Tampa Bay. So the the Bucks said, okay, how about a fourth? Like, that works. And then they sent no. a seventh back and everybody was happy. Uh, that's the price. And if it's any different than that, I don't think that uh, it's worth it. So, Myron, your reaction last night to getting Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney, uh,
1: do you want to give them a draft grade, Myron? Oh, I think you can't give them anything below an A. I agree. You know, yeah, I, mean, I agree you know you're you get a a cornerback who despite the the concerns about his size has this long wingspan you know led the nation in pass breakups over the last couple of years played a ton of snaps you know i think he played more than 700 snaps in his last 3 seasons at TCU and, and if you look at that team that he played on i mean that offense was not good and here's a guy who really anchored the only chance you had to win there which was defensively so i think that's a great pick moving back getting some more draft assets and, and, you know, drafting him at 31. And I think Justin Jefferson, you're you're talking about, to me, you have a chance to perhaps you drafted one of the 9 or 10 best football players in the entire draft. I think he's a guy where you look at what he did uh, at LSU. Jamar Chase kind of overshadowed him a bit down the stretch at LSU, but they were both really, really good. And I look at performance. I mean, it's not just – the game team, but when did you show up? They go to Texas in the first two weeks of the season last year, a top 10 Texas team before the Longhorns kind of went on that slide. Justin Jefferson has 163 yards, big game. You look at what he did uh, against Georgia in the season finale, uh, 115 yards, big game there. And the game that we were all talking about before the national championship game when uh, the the LSU Tigers put up 63 points and legitimately blew Oklahoma off the field yep. and you wanted to stop the game at halftime. <laughs> I mean, Jefferson had 227 of Burrell's 493 yards. So you're talking about a guy who can come in and replace the production you lost uh, with Diggs, I don't know that Diggs ever gets any better. Meaning I don't know that he's gonna have bigger numbers than what he had here, just because those he had so many outstanding seasons. And I think you could look at Diggs maybe in the next couple of years and go, still a really good receiver, but not much different than the guy you had in Minnesota, whereas Jefferson, if we're talking about ceilings, his ceiling is much higher than Diggs's ever was, just based on the athletic tools that he has uh, at his disposal. So I think you're talking about a guy who might look back and go, "Oh, that should have been a, a top five or six player potentially in that draft, just based on uh, what he's capable of doing."
2: Yeah, I did say I did see Daniel Jeremiah wrote something similar to the Jefferson ceiling being higher than Diggs, and I would just pump the brakes on that. I, I, I think ceiling ceiling. If ceiling is top fifteen receiver in the league, which Stephon Diggs has been for about four years, okay. I mean, that's that's aggressive to me. To to say any receiver who is the fifth receiver off the board in the NFL draft is has the potential to be top fifteen is a little on the aggressive side. for
1: me. Well, like, I, I, I mean,
2: think he could be very good, but that's that's like borderline ridiculous.
1: But but I think you got a guy like Joe Burrow on his team who's a six round pick or so coming into the season. He elevates to being the number one pick. I mean, Jefferson's a huge part of that, right? Like what he did playing next to him. So I think the tools, the speed, it, it's all there. It doesn't mean he'll reach it. But I think if you put those two guys in a lab and you go, okay, who's going to protect as the better receiver potentially? Who has the higher ceiling, the higher potential? I don't know how you would pick anyone but Jefferson in that scenario. Mm. I'm not saying he'll do it. Obviously, Diggs is great. But clearly, the tools are there for Jefferson and what he's already shown and achieved, I think.
2: Yeah, no, he's got everything you want. And I... Can't uh, take down the pick at all. I mean, I think it's a tremendous pick. And I saw a lot of his games as LSU was in big games all year long and was tremendously impressed with his work. And I think he'll improve even more as a route runner and things like that. I just think that putting the ceiling on any receiver as top 15, there's probably one guy, I would say, in this draft, and that was Jerry Judy that that I think can be that good. Um, And I thought that Denver getting him at 15 was the win. And C.D. Lamb might have that potential, too. I, I don't think that... Jefferson, I would put that high. I mean, we're t- Stefan Diggs. I, I don't think that people give him enough credit. One of the best route runners in the league, inside, outside, deep, short, intermediate. We're talking about a brilliant football player. I, I don't know. I just, I, I can't put anybody's ceiling there. That's like if you were doing all the percentiles of like the the average, what happens to him, what does he become, the worst and the best. That's like the 99th percentile that he becomes Stephon Diggs, that he becomes well, one of the truly elite players in the NFL. Like, Let's not degrade Diggs because they traded him. No, I
1: not think it was degrade him. I'm not. I mean, I'm talking about if you start them from where they are now. Jefferson has a prospect. Diggs is a prospect. Who had the higher ceiling well, in those moments? Of course moments. he's a better, that's better what I'm, prospect.
2: There's like, I, there's like 40 better prospects I mean, coming out of college than Diggs I'm, was. I'm
1: saying in terms of the tools he has, he projects as a guy who has a higher ceiling. And ceiling, whatever, you may believe in it, you may not. But I still think it's real. I mean, I think he's a guy that clearly what he did at LSU, the speed, all the components. He has a chance to be a really good receiver. Will he get there? I don't know. I mean, but that's what the draft is all about. But I think you would take Jefferson as a prospect and go, and if you had him sitting next to Diggs, you go, yeah, that guy I think has the higher ceiling and higher potential uh to, to be the better player that's yeah, all I'm yeah. saying. I I get I I'm not on the digs I'm not on the anti digs thing. Like I'm not on the like get rid of digs. No, that was a terrible situation. They're going to miss him. You're not going to replace him with one or two receivers. I get all that stuff. I am just saying that this is a guy who gave you everything and got the most uh out of his potential and if Jefferson does that, I do think the ceiling is slightly higher compared to what he's able to do.
2: Yeah. I mean I, I... I just can't ever put a ceiling on a guy who is the fifth best receiver at that level, I guess. And one of the best drafts at that position in the last time of the year. I I know. I know. It's a very good draft, and he is a very good prospect, and I like him. It's just that when we talk about these things and even look at the recent history of first-round draft picks and how rare it is that any of these guys come anywhere close to being top 15 wide receivers. That's where I say, like, I, I'm not going to put it that high. I think that that's setting the ceiling too high for someone who they moved into being an inside wide receiver. And I, I also think if we're talking about someone who is a top 15, we almost underrate how GD difficult that is to become that type of player. Oh, not. Like, I don't think any of these guys likely become top 10 NFL wide
1: receivers. Yeah, I I disagree because I think we're looking at this in two different ways. I mean, Adam Thielen has turned himself into being a really good receiver, right? And if you took them from where they were coming out of college, you look at a guy like Jefferson and go, okay, yeah, all the tools are there for him to be the better player. It doesn't mean he will, but ceiling is a pretty, you know, subjective idea and concept, right? It, It means based on who you are and where you are now, what's your potential? And I think if Jefferson reaches his potential, he can be a really good receiver. Like I don't know anyone could say anything but that. That's not a knock against. Everything doesn't have to be a comparison to Diggs and 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 who he was or wasn't. But in terms of ceilings, I don't know anyone who would say coming out of college that Diggs somehow had a higher ceiling than no. Of course not. Of course not. I'm not saying coming out of
2: college. I'm saying if if his if his ceiling if you're saying his ceiling is that he becomes a better receiver than stefan diggs that's where i would hesitate because i think he diggs is one of the truly elite receivers in the nfl and the only reason he's not here anymore is because they didn't always treat him like that um that i mean you you look at the production from stefan diggs when they actually throw him the football and the skill set and everything else i mean there are people who in the nfl have compared him to me to antonio brown um, it, yeah, no one's just,
1: denying that though. The ceiling though just means the potential like, I, I don't know I don't know how to look at it yeah, I, mean, I don't we'll think that Jefferson
2: has that level of potential because if he did, I think he But goes did to Diggs the first have it receiver. coming out
1: of college? No, of course not, but that's
2: not the point. The point is if we're saying it's higher it's a better receiver than Diggs became. I'm saying that I don't think that his ceiling is that high because that's one of the 10 to 15 best receivers in the game, and I don't think his ceiling is that high. I think it's becoming a very good NFL wide receiver. Um, you know, who is the, again, the fifth off the board in a, in a very strong receiver class. Like that's great. It's a great pick and I give them an A for it. But, you know, if you look at his athletic profile, it's not like Julio Jones here. It's a lot of, okay, he's a good athlete and he had very good production on an unbelievable offense with an unbelievable quarterback and he never played outside. So let's see him get off the line of scrimmage once. Like, you know, I just, I'm saying that there are reasons to not put it that high for what he could become?
1: Well, I think it's unfair for guys like Jefferson is that All the credit goes to Burrow. I mean, that's how we view quarterbacks, especially if you're the number one quarterback. People look and go, okay, clearly it was all him making the throws. That's the reason that LSU was LSU, and I think that's unfair. I mean, Jefferson, Jamar Chase, all the other talent they had around him was a big component there in terms of Joe Burrow emerging as this elite quarterback. I mean, Jefferson was a huge part of that, and I think that matters. I mean, I think he has star potential. Uh, and I think in a class with a lot of really good receivers, I think it was hard clearly for teams to decide who were the who was the best of the five or six at the top of the board. Uh clearly guys went ahead of him ahead of him who were graded lower. So I don't know, potential. I don't think that's a big deal to say the ceiling, if it all comes together, he could be a really, really good receiver. And I think he has a higher ceiling than Diggs ever had.
2: Matthew Collar, ESPN's Myron Metcalf here. Uh, Over the last few days, we've been announcing the Draft 1K giveaway, and we have a winner. I'm told that 60 people picked Justin Jefferson, so congratulations to all of you, and I'm sorry to 59 of you that you were (laughs) not selected randomly. Uh, But Troy Kosthears of Woodbury, and I'm hoping I'm saying his name correctly, it is K-O-S-T-O-H-R-Y-Z. Troy Coastiers of Woodbury is our winner that we selected randomly out of the 60 people that got it correct. So thank you for all of you who downloaded nice. the app. Registered, went to the Listener Awards, and uh, we really appreciate you playing along. And uh, I'll give you a, a shout out or pat on the back to the other 59 who got it right. Good for you. So let's take a break, and Courtney Cronin will join us for the latest on the Trent Williams situation, how we see the second and third rounds playing out tonight for the Vikings. Matthew Collar, Myron Metcalf on Purple Daily.
3: Score North. Download Declan Goff and for Jonathan Harrison here on Purple Daily. And Minnesota sports fans, we want to hear from you as you continue to stay home and do our part to battle the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? We'd love to hear from you. Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500. ScoreNorth.com or the free Score North app. Also at ScoreNorth.com there is plenty of Vikings draft content to break down. How the board felt perfectly yesterday for the Vikings. Also in-depth look Looks at Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney, the two first-round picks. And what to expect in uh, rounds two and three tonight in the NFL Draft. Judge Zolgad and Matthew Collar will be breaking that down from 6 o'clock to about ten eleven p.m. tonight right here on Score North on AM 1500. In the meantime, we'll get back into Purple Daily right now with Matthew Collar, Myron Metcalf, and on the phone, Courtney Cronin. Okay, we are
2: back indeed, Declan. Uh, Jonathan will be in a little bit later, and he is going to produce deep into the night as we continue our preposterously in-depth draft coverage here. And I saw that ESPN's draft coverage broke a record for the most um, watched NFL draft, I think, or at least uh, soon or recently. Uh, I didn't read that entirely through all the way to the press release, but... Broke some type of record, and good for them. Nobody else had anything else to do but watch the NFL draft. So uh <laughs> we, we welcome in Courtney, our draft scout, here to the show, Courtney Cronin. Um Courtney, I have been draft simming, and i got to tell you, second and third rounds, just based on the talent still available, if the Vikings do nothing, and we expect some trades here, but if they do nothing, then they could still be in a really good spot to fill positions of need.
0: Yeah, I mean they've got twelve picks to spend over today and tomorrow. I pray that they do something because I don't none of us need twelve draft pick conference calls over Zoom. I'm <laughs> being selfish here. Um, but thinking logically about a shortened off season, you're not gonna be spending twelve draft picks to bring guys in, most of whom will probably not make the roster. Uh you wanna take your chances to get a hired draft pick, get somebody in who has a better shot of contributing early on, but you still have several positions of need that they need to continue to address throughout day two and then day three. So they're in good position. I mean, Miami is the only other team. I think they're tied with Miami now with, for the most draft picks uh, with 14 and they've got 12 over the next few days and there's three and a half, four hours until the draft now. So we shall see if they have any movement on the Trent Williams front before they even get to round two. What
1: are the chances you think they you know, make the move for Trent Williams uh, if that's available to them?
0: Uh, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like Washington's just trying to play hardball. Like, it's a bad beat in poker. You have a bad hand. You know that you don't have the leverage here, even though they think they do, uh, and they don't want to budge. I mean, the alleged asking price that's out there, I mean, we had heard for a while that they didn't want to take anything less than a second-round pick. Well, if they're asking for a third and a fourth, that's second round value, and that's way too high. I don't think the Vikings would do that, and I think they'd tell them to go kick rocks, and then they'd use some of their draft capital to trade up and get one of the top tackles that's still available. I mean, we're talking about a player, Myron, that's 31 years old and has not played a full season since 2013. I mean, he's had injury concerns. Uh, he's been disgruntled with his franchise, who, you know, look, I don't think Washington handled any of this. Uh, 16 month standoff in a good in in good manner at all and certainly not in good faith with their player but you know the fact is he still is under contract so Washington's trying to get value for what they see is a seven time pro bowler and and all along it's felt like that second round value however they have to get it is what they're going to be seeking so if the vikings don't get something done before the draft starts tonight and I think it's six o'clock is the second round. Uh, I would anticipate that the Trent Williams door closes for now because it kind of feels like it's a now or never situation and that they would use some of their picks that they currently have to trade up and be aggressive in trying to get one of the tackles that's available uh, in the second round.
2: You know, Washington reminds me of the kid in elementary school who has Dunkaroos, and you're like, man, I'll (laughs) I'll give you my Twinkie for your Dunkaroos. And they're like, yeah, and five bucks. Like, okay, well, I'm not going to give you five bucks. Uh, and my Twinkie for your Dunkaroos. Like they're just overvaluing what they have, and it's almost childish in a yeah. way for them to sit there and say like Oh no, second round pick. <laughs> like are you are you living in the same earth as us? Considering not only do you have to take a guy with injury concerns in his 30s who hasn't played 16 games since 2013, but you also have to sign him to a deal that is going to be in probably in the top five left tackles based on some of the other players who have gotten paid, and then Laramie just today moves the bar up even higher for left tackles like uh, okay sorry uh you should just give us Trent Williams as many problems as you have there
0: yeah I mean it just kind of seems short-sighted but do we honestly anticipate seeing anything different of the way that this has played out from a franchise like the Washington Redskins I mean Bruce Allen Uh, is a spiteful guy and, you know, loved the hardball game and it bit him in the ass and and look at what happened to that franchise since then. It's a poorly run team. So I'm not surprised at the way this is panning out. I don't think anybody should be. And dealing with Dan Snyder, I think you've seen the track record and what that's amounted to. Um, You know, the Vikings, are really one of the only teams in this game. And if Washington doesn't bite on something in the next few hours, maybe they really think, I know John Kime and I uh, had been reporting on this for a while, and he reported earlier that Washington really thinks they can stretch this throughout the draft and then beyond that. But let's say we get past day three and Trent Williams hasn't been moved. What are you going to do, move him for a six in in two months (laughs) at training camp three months from now? Like, what's the point of that? You're going to have to release him. Because come hell or high water, I don't care if Ron Rivera is the head coach there. I think there's enough bad blood between organization and player that Trent Williams would rather retire than play for the Redskins.
1: Uh, Courtney, it wasn't that long ago uh, when Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott and all these other running backs were some of the top prospects in the draft. One running back goes in the first round, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and he caught, I think, 55 passes at LSU. A lot of good guys left, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor. What does that say about the state of running back in the NFL right now? It's kind of what we expect, right? Like, it's –
0: you know the position has kind of been all over the place. We see the resurgence a couple of years ago and guys getting paid like the Todd Gurley's and the David Johnsons, and then even last year with Ezekiel Elliott. And then, um, you know, with the last pick in the draft, I think that Andy Reid actually said uh, that um,
1: Mahomes told Biden, him right. The
0: like his you know was yeah, and I mean that's you know that's not surprising to me at all. I mean he, players value the running back position. I feel like it's just the NFL in general doesn't in a way. And um, I'm not surprised um, that he went with the last pick in the draft and that he was the only running back taken. This is what we see though. I mean, I I don't think anybody anticipated that there'd be more than one running back taken in the first round last night, because this is the the way the league's trending. It's a passing league. Um, And yeah, he's good at catching balls out of the backfield and on angle routes. I mean, we saw him do that at LSU for a national championship offense, but Positional value-wise, I don't think anybody should be shocked to see that running backs are getting pushed further down the board in the first round, and there's a whole host of them that are really talented that are going to be available starting out in the second round tonight, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that get pushed down even further because think about how many receivers are a part of this class that are still on the board. Still a bunch of offensive tackles and quarterbacks that all had day two grades that are still going to be available there in the high 30s, so... If you don't see someone like a Cam Akers uh, or a DeAndre Swift taken until the middle of the second round, don't be surprised.
2: So let's talk about the Vikings tonight and what their plan should be. They have so many day three picks that trading up, which is normally not the most advisable thing in the world for value – all of a sudden becomes a pretty good idea if you can do it. I mean, if you can sweeten the pot with 5th and 6th round picks to move from 58 up to get someone like Ezra Cleveland, uh, then that's a good idea. But I also think even if they stand pack, Courtney, you could almost just go best player available at the back of the second round and end up with potentially a tackle, a, an interior offensive lineman, an interior defensive lineman. If you if you drafted another corner, let's say Jalen Johnson falls, if you drafted another corner, is anybody going to be upset with that when you currently really don't have any other than you know jeff gladney mike hughes and, and holton hill like I, I think that their options are still here in day two uh, all over the board
0: yeah i mean i like your pick with um you know going like defensive interior at some point maybe they're at 58 or 89 i still think given this edge rusher class um that you could probably wait until the fourth round like early tomorrow morning to address that position but guard Third round is when the guards are going to start coming off the board. Eventually, you're going to have to get some safety depth in there. Maybe that's a third-round pick. You know, if you value somebody, like, pretty high up uh, that you want to get at either 89 or 105, there are a lot of different ways that they can continue to fill out this roster, even getting another wide receiver. Like, the hard thing with, with a guy like Justin Jefferson, and I know some people look at the pick last night, and I think they came away really, like, it couldn't have gone any better for the Vikings on day one. But people hear the word slot receiver and they automatically put this negative connotation with it that oh, this guy's going to be limited in what he can do because he's not a true number one and he'll never be a true number one. Well, you know, replacing Stephon Diggs, you can't just say Justin Jefferson is he's there apparent to start replacing him as meaning he's jumping up the depth chart to compete for your number two job. But you can't replace all that Stefan Diggs brought in one player, which is why we've talked about at length all the different ways that they can utilize tight ends in the passing game and maybe drafting somebody for traits uh, that you really like and how they fit in your offense. That's a day-two priority. Like, I could see them going that route, and like you mentioned, with cornerback, I mean, if there's, like, a Troy Pride Jr. or a Bryce Hall, a guy from Virginia, that's a good day to pick, because last I checked, but now they only have four cornerbacks on the roster, which is more than three, which so it's more than they had yesterday. They need more depth in the secondary, particularly at that position, so addressing that, nobody's going to be upset if they do that tonight.
1: You talked about you know folks concerned, uh, Courtney, about maybe the limitations of Justin Jefferson playing in the slot, but uh, Jeff Gladney. I mean, can he be more than a nickel corner in the NFL?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so. He's got he's he's short on paper. He's like five ten, like one ninety. So if he wants to go up against the Michael Thomases of the world, he's probably got to add a little bit uh, of bulk onto his frame. But even Rick Spielman mentioned this last night, like his arm length and wingspan. Allows him to, you know, effectively play bigger than he is. And I think that helped that, you know, when he was at TCU and we spoke with his coach, Gary Patterson, this morning, um, you would have thought he was talking about Deion Sanders, the way how glowingly <laughs> he talked about Jeff Gladney and all that he brought to the table. But, you know, he challenged him by letting him shadow somebody, you know, the, the other, the other, uh, of their opponent's number one receiver whether that's one of those massive 6-4 to 6-6 guys that Baylor just seems to have every single freaking year play for them or if it's C.D. Lamb at Oklahoma I mean the Big 12 has a lot of really good receivers a lot of speedy receivers a lot of receivers who pose very physical threats uh, to, to, to defenses and can take the top off defenses so he's had a mix of Of receivers he's had to go against, which I think will help him, whether he has to play in the slot and kind of direct traffic there and have to be communicating with safeties, or if they slot him in outside. But, you know, he projects as a nickel because of the size and the physicality and, and the traits that he brings. Uh, with his skill set but Mike Zimmer kind of hinted that that might not happen right away just because of the shortened off season. it's a very hard position to play and unless your name's Mike Hughes nobody's really like I've never heard Mike Zimmer talk about a rookie cornerback as glowingly as he did Hughes in that 2018 season and, and you'll remember Hughes played a little bit in that nickel spot before he got hurt because Mackenzie Alexander was hurt so That could be Hughes' role this year. It could be Gladney's role this year. But I think that he gives them options and flexibility. Like, maybe you try him inside. Maybe it's a better fit outside. And then that'll allow you to move Holton Hill and Mike Hughes where you best see fit. All
2: right, Courtney, we will check in with you tonight. It'll be me and Zolgad hosting the draft coverage for rounds two and three. So we will get your takeaways when anything (laughs) and everything happens. So until then, uh, get to grinding some tape and prepare yourself.
0: I I need to know what is Zolgad doing right now. Does anybody have Taz on? Him? He's napping.
2: Yeah, you don't want to know.
0: <laughs> okay, don't call me.
2: Yeah, he literally uh, said he's taking a nap. Okay, all right. You need to inform your Zolgad uh, to what he needs to know for draft night. So Courtney, <laughs> thanks for uh, for popping on.
0: Thank you, guys.
2: Yep. Um, Courtney will be a part of our coverage later tonight. She'll check in uh, when they make some picks or some trades or they get Trent Williams or whatever it might be. All right, Myron, you want to do some winners and losers? Come on, it's draft time. I'm with it. Winners and losers. It. Jack us up I'm some NFL it. music. All right, winners and losers. I'll tell you my first winner of draft night. The Miami Dolphins, who now all yeah. of a sudden are smart at football. I <laughs> like, what? Yeah. You know, I, the whole time, they smokescreen the bleep out of everybody. Like, they are the smokescreen wizards. They they have all these guys who are the most dialed-in reporters just chasing their tails for weeks, and then they just went, no, no, we're picking Tua. Uh, <laughs> so they take uh, the best quarterback they possibly could, a guy who is head and shoulders, in my mind, above Justin Herbert. They didn't make that mistake. They got a tackle to help him, and then another cornerback to go along with signing Byron Jones this offseason. Good job, Miami Dolphins.
1: I like that as well. I mean, Tua, clearly, you got to go with him at number 5. Uh, smart move. Uh, everyone didn't make smart moves last night, but I think the Dolphins certainly uh, got a guy who could evolve into a great player. My my winner early in the draft it has to be the Denver Broncos. Man, Jerry Judy at fifteen, uh, putting him with Drew Locke, second year guy. Obviously, they have some other talent around the ball. I mean, you look at the Denver team that came to Minnesota and had a pretty good game. I mean, with Drew early on, and you know, you're adding a guy who a lot of people think is the best receiver in this draft, one of the best players uh, in this draft. So I think getting him at 15 after, for whatever reason, the Las Vegas Raiders, that sounds so weird to me to say. Uh, Pick Henry Ruggs uh, from uh, Alabama. I think that is, to me, uh, a winner if you're Denver.
2: Yes. Uh, If we're talking about a guy that does have the top ceiling of anybody in the draft, I think it is Jerry Judy. What a dominant player at Alabama. And uh, for him to end up there at 15, shocking. And I'll go with another draft winner similar situation because Ruggs was the first receiver uh, everybody else had a great shot at getting somebody good and cd lamb was just ridiculous yes. at oklahoma yeah. 20 yards a catch he breaks tackles he goes up and gets it he's open all the time for him to drop to Dallas, I, I'm sure that Jerry Jones was sitting in his couch with his very weird things behind him. Uh, were, very weird. I don't know what those are. Like, Are they mirrors? Are they just like sculptures? Are they part of the wall? or Are they not part <laughs> of the wall? That. I don't know. Um, but a very expensive couch for someone's basement. <laughs> he had to be absolutely thrilled. Now you have Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D.
1: Lamb as your wide receivers uh, trying to convince Dak to stay maybe? Oh, man. I mean, listen, we had, we thought Jerry Jones by himself. I think that's a yacht he drafted from like a <laughs> $250 million yacht or something like that, that he'd be the guy to make the biggest mistake. And he did uh, what you wanted, getting CD Lamb. And I think that's a, that's a tremendous pick. I think to grab a guy like that, uh, who could be a star in Dallas, like you said, convincing D- uh, Dak that this is a great place to, to be. I, I really, really like, that pick? Are we still doing still doing winners? Still, still can do winners. You do one more winner, and then we'll do some losers. Uh, for me, I would say Cleveland. Just in that, I mean, you get a Jedrick Willis Jr., uh, a, a guy who can be a really good player out of Alabama. You're going to need to protect Baker Mayfield. You hope he improves after last year's sh- shaky season. Cleveland is making a lot of smart moves. I feel like this offseason. and uh, that to me felt like a really solid one.
2: That's a a very good pick um let's see one more winner here well I if Tampa Bay hadn't moved up, I might have given them a win, but you know, like they still had to spend something to even move up to get a tackle where ah, I don't know, but I yeah. mean that, helping out Tom Brady is, is certainly one um I mean, I guess I would say the Minnesota Vikings were a winner yeah I mean yeah. if we're if we're just looking at teams that came out with exactly what they win in. Hoping for, they got it with a wide receiver in a corner. Those were two positions that I had marked as like, if you get those, you've done a great job. Especially if you get a receiver who is projected higher, like Justin Jefferson. Now, let me switch to um, Mel Kiper calls them the head scratchers. So we will be Minnesotan passive aggressive rather than uh, call them the losers. The head-scratcher of the night is certainly the Las Vegas Raiders with Damon Arnett. Now, Henry Ruggs I can get because you're the Raiders and like, whatever, man. It's tradition to just draft the fastest guy. (laughs) But Damon Arnett was not listed by anybody as being a first-round pick, and then all of a sudden he's not only a first-rounder, but he is 19th, where you could have traded back and picked up more assets and still got your guy. I don't understand that one, Myron. That's my first head-scratcher.
1: Yeah, it wasn't a gamble. That was just a bad pick, right, for the Las Vegas Raiders. It still doesn't make any sense, but the Raiders never do anything to, to make sense, right? And and in most years you'd go, definitely the Raiders made the biggest fumble, the biggest mistake in the first round. But, oh, no, the Green Bay Packers decided to take the cake and draft Jordan Love for whatever reason, moving up uh, to get Jordan Love as apparently the heir apparent for Aaron Rodgers. Here's my thing, right? You're moving up to get him at 26, and this is a guy who you're calling a developmental quarterback. I don't really see it. I mean, to me, this is yep. a guy in any yep. other year is a day two guy, maybe even day three. If you just look at the things you cannot ignore, he played in the Mountain West, and he got worse. Lower pass completion percentage, uh, more interceptions, like all the metrics that matter. This guy got worse in the Mountain West. And don't tell me that he lost all his talent. Roethlisberger lost talent. Steve McNair, all these other guys who played in non-Power 5 leagues lost talent, and they were still excellent. So I don't really get it. But beyond the pick, Kyler, to me is, what message are you sending to Aaron Rodgers if you're Matt LaFleur? Like, What's that relationship? Because to me, knowing how Aaron Rodgers is and the bitterness he still holds against Brett Favre and the franchise for how things unfolded early in his career— How do you think he's going to take this? Like, how do you build momentum knowing that Jordan Love is the guy you moved up to pick and you're Matt LaFleur? Good luck with that.
2: Also, history of late first round quarterbacks is hilarious. It's like the yeah. Brandon Whedons and Brady Quinn's like all those guys. And maybe Jordan Love and Brady Quinn is a good comparison, like an athletic guy who has a, yep. a great arm and has all the look of a franchise quarterback, but just kept throwing it to the other team and, and was yes. unimpressive. I mean, but of course at Notre Dame. You, He did it against good competition. You're not even doing it against good competition in Utah State. So that one, I don't get because of the prospect. I get because of the process to look for your next quarterback but not with this guy. This feels no. very strange for them to do it when you'd be better off just riding that Rogers train all the way to the end of the station and giving him an exciting weapon there or maybe drafting two exciting weapons for him on offense is a better plan. Uh Last head-scratcher for me, oh, I I wanted to... Also mentioned, I love what the Arizona Cardinals did getting Isaiah Simmons where they got him. Yeah. Great job. He goes with now Buda Baker Buda Baker for multiple position guys on defense. Like that Arizona team is doing a lot of things right. Tennessee taking Isaiah Wilson. I don't think the guy is good. I think he's just large. Hmm. He is a right tackle in the first round. You have a left tackle in Josh Jones who's a better pass protector as Cleveland is a better athlete. And I'm not sure anybody else was taking Isaiah Wilson there. Another situation where you could have moved down and if you lose out on Isaiah Wilson, nah, who cares? Just get the next best tackle prospect. So I thought that that was a mistake for the Tennessee Titans. And uh, even a little bit so today we were talking with Gary Patterson about Jeff Gladney, and he dropped a yeah. little nugget that the Eagles loved that Jalen Rager is a punt returner too. I'm like, really? Okay. That was one of your main areas. He said <laughs> that the what's... Eagles love that about him. I'm like, really? Okay. Does anybody, like, is there any Devin Hesters in the league anymore? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't think that Rager was that good of a prospect um, compared to some of the other guys in a very, very deep class. They did not have to do that there. So. Yeah, it didn't make a
1: lot of sense to me. Um,
2: So a very interesting first night, though, and we are poised to have even more intrigue potentially in night two where we could see actual players getting traded, teams moving up and down, and the Vikings have three picks tonight. For now, they could get even more. So let's uh, draft sim when we come back. Great thing about the draft simulators, they update it, so it's all set for the second round. I'm ready to draft sim, and we will go over at Myron and see what we think the Vikings should do if they stay with their three picks. That's when we
3: return. You're listening
2: to Purple Daily here on Score North.
3: In times like these, you may not be thinking about blood donation, but blood is needed every day by patients facing a range of serious illnesses. If you're healthy, please schedule an appointment to donate by visiting redcrossblood.org or by using keyword Red at scorenorth.com.
1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North
2: Studios. Join more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. With the 22nd pick in the 2020 draft, the Minnesota Vikings select Justin Jefferson, wide receiver, LSU. With the 31st pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Minnesota Vikings select Jeff Gladney, defensive back TCU. All right, we are back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar and ESPN's Myron Metcalf. Another reminder that tonight it'll be myself and Judd Zulgad starting at 6, not 7 like last night, and really like 7.25 And, uh, yeah, I was one of the people, Myron, who was going, come on. Let's go with this thing like 20 minutes in and you know, we've got to sing the national anthem and thank all of the workers and everything else. Like I get that. That's nice. But like, let's get the show on the road. And uh, so tonight, usually the second round gets going much quicker and we are off and running right at six o'clock following Mackie and Judd with Rami. So I am currently on fanspeak.com. You can use PFF. You can use the Draft Network. There's lots of different ways to do it. I'm just using this one for now. And I am draft simming. Now, okay. if it's up to you, Myron, what is my goal as names are coming off the second round if I'm the Vikings? Do I have a spot in mind where I'm going, I'll trade up if, or am I just remaining patient and planning on taking my picks?
1: I just never thought we'd see Xavier McKinney still alive. Yeah, And yeah. obviously, you know, I don't know, uh, he could be the first guy off the board tonight, but that pushes everything down. And to me, Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, Grant Delpin from LSU, like if there's a chance to me, especially with Winfield or McKinney, I think you have to consider that. Uh, McKinney to me, by all accounts, right, was a potentially a top 20 player in yeah. this draft. Yep. And, you know, I don't know how he ends up here, but it ain't because he's not physically ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy had great film, played at obviously a big school, played against big time competition. So I, for me, I look at Xavier McKinney and go, man. If this thing keeps falling for whatever reason in your favor and you can move up potentially to get into that category, you have to consider that.
2: So in my draft sim, he ends up going with the ninth pick in the second round. And uh, that is probably too rich for my blood to trade up. However, Antoine Winfield Jr. goes at 18th or the 50th overall pick. You only have to move up eight spots. That's where it becomes a little more interesting. But let's assume now that they don't move up. I, I think that there's a range where you can justify it and you're only spending your later picks. And it makes a lot of sense to go get someone that could be a difference maker for you. And if it is someone like Winfield or McKinney, that opens the door to potentially trading uh, Anthony Harris to pick up another third round pick. And in this draft, even when I get into the third round, there are players that I like as second round picks or guys that you think could be potential starters. It just happens to be one of those drafts. With a lot of very good talent. And there, experts go back and forth on that when we've asked them. You know, some experts are like, yeah. eh, every year we talk about good second and third round picks. But this year, it seems there are more guys that have uh, quality projections as NFL players rather than, well, yeah, I mean, he never sacked anybody, but, you know, he's pretty yeah. athletic. Like, oh, okay. That's, jump high. Sounds bad. Um, yeah. So here's what I got on the board. You tell me which way you want to go. I've got two defensive tackles. That's why I like if the Vikings stay here, by the way. Uh Ross Blacklock really? and Neville Gallimore. Yeah, if they stay here. If they don't, I think they'll move up to try and get a tackle. But we'll see. Um we also have Terrell Lewis, the edge rusher. That's pretty exciting because he's kind of a Daniil Hunter clone. Had some injuries though in college. Uh we've got Justin Mad how do you say this one, uh, Declan Matabuki? Is that how you say it? You had this one on your list, Yeah, J- I believe M- it was. It-
1: it's called Justin M. That's what I saying. Meta I'm gonna look it up. Meta, Meta, not gonna play well, so, here probably anyway. So <laughs> yeah, Kansas Yudoka Azabuki, So maybe it's Matabuki. Yeah, you know, I think it's. Be.
2: I think it is Madabuki. We had this yesterday, and I forgot how. Declan it had. is is. It is No, no, that's not him. That's oh, the guy from. Oh, Madabike, Madabike, yeah, Justin okay. Madabike. Okay. All right, thank okay. you. Well, All right. we would have been way. Wow, tonight. Um, that,
1: <laughs> that was. That wouldn't have gone well. <laughs>
2: All right, uh, so we've got uh, Kyle Duggar and Jeremy Shin, both of the guys who are high ceiling safeties that need some some help. Ashton Davis, who's a step right in safety, also Ben Barch and a guy I really like, Jordan Elliott, interior rusher. So we've got three good interior defensive linemen, a couple of safeties, uh, one edge rusher that I like, and a tackle in Ben Barch. So what direction are you thinking?
1: I'm off the safety because for me, I, I think there's a gap between McKinney and Winfield in the next three or four guys. Yeah. Yep. So f- for for me, I'm going uh, Ross Blacklock. I think I think that's a guy who what was he rated? Top three or four at that position? Yeah. Potentially, yep. um, I think a lot of people on their boards have him as a top thirty kind of guy. So, you know, you get. I mean, TCU. I think they finished five and seven overall, but defensively they were pretty good, and he was a big reason why. Big six three, two hundred and ninety pound guy, and you know, as much as we talked about Jefferson and what he did coming to the draft, the concern and the need, like sheer numbers along with talent, was on defense. So. I'd like that pick. To me, that's where I would go.
2: Yeah, this is uh, kind of like your Sharif Floyd type of pick, where it's somebody mm-hmm. who yeah, I, I know I've seen as high as a 20 on big boards from, from yeah. different people because they love his athletic ceiling. And his production was okay, but they believe that it could be higher. And even, again, talking to Gary Patterson this morning, he mentioned that he thought that Blacklock should have stayed one more year to make sure that he was a first-round pick. But that kind of tells you that he's someone who hasn't reached his ceiling yet. But you could put with Andre Patterson and Mike Zimmer and develop him into being a very good interior defensive lineman. And maybe he contributes in year one. So I like that pick. I'll go with Ross Blacklock there as well. Um, uh, Gallimore and Elliott, though. I really do like Elliott. Elliott had the production. And he also has the athleticism. So that might be my guy as opposed to Blacklock, but either one of them are probably pretty good. All right, here's what we got in the third round. And this is, again, just if the Vikings stay, not if they decide to trade up. We've got Kyle Duggar is still there. Also, Ashton Davis, who I'm intrigued by. So the safeties uh, drop down into the third round. Robert Hunt is a guard that I think is going to go sooner. He is sort of i I'll throw out some terminology for you here, Myron, a dancing bear. For this guy, oh, you know, I've never heard that. The dancing bear is a guy who's gigantic, <laughs> but has like nimble yeah. feet, and he's also kind of he's also kind of mean too. He's sort of a dancing bear.
1: <laughs> Jalen Hurts is here, Myron. What do we do? You can't ask me because I'm picking Hurts, but I, I don't think I don't think they do. That'll it. happen. That's not that's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't um, think they do it.
2: So we could also take another it, corner, Cameron Danzler from Mississippi State. He's here. He's a pretty good prospect.
1: Sh- should I be concerned about uh, the competition? Kyle Duggar faced, or is that...
2: Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. The thing
1: is, though, he's a complete
2: freak athlete and shows instincts, like football instincts, that you can sort of work around. But in his case you might be asking Anthony Harris, like, would you hold out or would you play on that franchise tag? Because yeah. you can earn yourself $11 million, sir, and if you go out and get five, six more interceptions, then even more money on the free agent market next year, Um, and then we would hand the ball off in that position to Kyle Duggar. But also, if he's a two- or three-year type of project, somebody eventually will have to replace Harrison Smith, and he could be like your big nickel or your... You know, your third linebacker in certain situations because of his size and his power, you could move him up. He could be a little bit of a chess piece or you could get Ashton Davis, who's a straight up deep center field safety, but has great instincts there. And he is your Anthony Harris. Then you trade Harris. So do you want one of those safeties or do you want to go with a different position here?
1: I'm going Ashton Davis, I guess. Again, Jalen Hurts would be my pick. It's not going to happen. I'm going Ashton Davis. I feel more confident about the uh, competition he faced. And mm-hmm. Davis, he played a, a little bit of corner early, right? I'm not saying he would do that in the NFL, but the versatility is there. I, I like, to me, uh, what he might be able to do at the, in the next level more than Duggar. I, I would go with Davis. So I think that uh, he is the definitely the safer pick
2: and projects more like an Anthony Harris um. Whereas Duggar could be Harrison Smith if it works out, but the chances it works out aren't that high. When you go to Lenore Rhine, which is yes. where Kyle Duggar went, yeah. he's one of those guys. Though you saw the Scotty Pippen thing, you know, Scotty. Scottie Pippen was what like you know five eight or something, and then yeah, two years like later six, six seven. Three. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, I think that <laughs> Kyle Duggar might be that guy, and it does yeah. you know work out from time to time. If Robert Hunt is on the board, he's my pick. Uh, but we'll go with mm. Ashton Davis here. I think Hunt can be—I I watched a couple of games of his at somebody's suggestion. <laughs> like, this guy is, is massive, but light on his feet. He's, he's played tackle in college, yeah. but looks like more of a guard. Uh And uh, they still have major issues at guard. But let's take Ashton Davis, and then we just traded Anthony Harris, more likely than not. So let's say you pick up another potential third. Uh, a few selections later, a lot of the same guys still on the board. Um, you could take, boy, Jalen Hurts is still here, and I don't know if he actually gets here. Um, let's see, Duggar just went off the board. So now you're looking at you know guys who are farther down that a lot of fans probably don't know, and even some that I don't know. Um, but you have somebody like uh, Natani Muti is a guard from Fresno State that PFF really likes, but most other people don't have, quite as high or yeah. there's, or there's the option to get another corner here. And then you've just thrilled Mike Zimmer with three defensive players. You've got Jake Fromm is still here. Uh, you could pick someone like Hunter Bryant, who's a tight end. Um, eventually Kyle Rudolph is not going to be a Minnesota Viking. Um, so you could go in that direction. Well, is Ben Bartsch still here. there? Is Ben Bartsch still there? Uh, ben Bartsch, unfortunately was taken. So he is okay. off the board here. And this is, this would be the fail of this particular draft sim is that you know you don't really come away with a great offensive lineman. If we take uh, Natani Muti, we've got a chance. I think at this position, you have to take him. But there's also a guy who's intriguing to me, Alex Highsmith, who is an edge rusher from Charlotte. So you know they don't have an edge rusher in this scenario either. This is why I think today is the day for the Vikings to trade back in and try to get several third-round picks or move back into the second to get several second-round picks
1: because it just feels like we are going to be unfulfilled by the end of this, right? It it, it does feel like, and that's why... The thing with Jalen Hurts is is this, right? It just feels like such a safe pick to me. Like, if you're Minnesota and you have that guy behind Kirk Cousins, he's not going to be a problem. He's only going to be a great guy to... Like, you get better just by drafting him, no matter what he does in the NFL. And I think in the third round, if he's there for a guy with his pedigree... I think you have to really consider that. Yep. Um, You know, even if it's nothing more than, okay, worst case scenario, Kirk gets hurt or something like that. You can bring in a guy who is showing a lot of, you know, toughness and poise. I I just think I'm not a big character guy, you know, when it comes to the draft. I mean, I am in terms of like, if you've got like, you know, you've been on Dateline or something and done some terrible stuff. Yeah, we should (laughs) talk about that. But just in terms of, it's hard to measure character with a bunch of 20, 21 and 22 year olds. Right. Uh, but I think Jalen Hurts is just one of those guys where you go, okay, does he come in and just kind of become that likable guy that everybody kind of roots for and gravitates to in that locker room. I think he, he could be, and they haven't had that college since Teddy. Right. I mean, they haven't had yeah, that sort of yeah. guy that everyone kind of rallied around and w- was sort of the focus of that locker room. And I think Jalen could be that man. I, I, I would have to consider. Okay, Jaylen. well, let's let's do it here and just see how this mm-hmm. looks, like how we would grade
2: our total draft sim if this was the hall for today and they only end up with three picks only. Uh, so, if their draft was Justin Jefferson, Jeff Gladney, Ross Blacklock, Ashton Davis, Jalen Hurts, where would we grade them?
1: Deal sounds like an A to me. Did we give it an A because we did it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've had bad
2: draft sims. So I'm going like, oh man, that's not good. So I I did a draft sim where I picked Gladney and traded down was my final seventh round draft sim, and I was still getting killed for it on, you know, <laughs> Twitter. So, you know, that's that's how it goes. I think that this would be probably a solid a solid B for me because the one of the major needs that you went into the draft with is offensive line. And if you end up Getting through the third line, a uh, third round with zero offensive linemen, I can't give you an A when you still have no guards and Riley Reef at left tackle. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't like pat you on the back too hard. But if you are trading in this case Anthony Harris to make cap space for Trent Williams, then you know the formula gets a, a little bit different. Um, so yep. you know, I, I think there 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 are so many options here that you can get it right in many different ways for the Vikings tonight.
1: Yeah, I think for me, the the A- minus potential comes in with uh, Blacklock in terms of just like where he's rated on a lot of boards. Uh, you could call him potentially a steal. I think Ashton Davis, you know, is right there with the other safeties who might be available. Um, the problem I feel like with offensive line, correct me if I'm wrong, is the guys you would really want, Ezra Cleveland, maybe Josh Jones, they're gone, right, unless you potentially move up. So it wouldn't be necessarily them passing over, The top two remaining guys at tackle would be they're off the board, and then you go, okay, how far down do we want to go to draft at that position? So I think that'll be the question there. How does the board – I mean, everything's going to be how the board shakes out, but I think especially at offensive linemen, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds here. Uh, tonight. Well, let me ask you a question as it pertains to the Jordan Love decision that the uh,
2: Packers made, because Jalen Hurts would be a similar type of decision for the Vikings. Neither one of those players is playing right away. Um my, I guess my question is how far out or how far down the road should you be looking to draft a quarterback? I mean, a lot yeah. of teams wait until there's no other option. The Miami Dolphins, like, well, you know, Josh Rosen didn't work out. We've got Fitzmagic, and we really have no one. So we draft a quarterback. Yeah. Um, but the Packers here—I mean, they might be looking three years out with Jordan Love. Yeah, I could see Aaron Rodgers continuing to play and continuing to play, and and maybe there becomes a situation where it's so uncomfortable that he just wants to leave after this year or something like that. Um, but you know, it could be two to three years. And I don't think, philosophically speaking, it's a bad idea to look that far down the road. Um, but I guess it does all circle back to our conversation about would the Vikings do it because of the position that their general manager and head coach are in.
1: Yeah, I mean, to, to me, Jordan Love, Jalen Hurts are just you know different scenarios in that, um, yes, Jordan Love could be behind. Aaron Rodgers for, for three years, much like Aaron Rodgers was behind Brett Favre, you know? And I think to me, what they've done in Green Bay is they just encourage Aaron to keep playing, right? To just continue to, to dare you to stop him from playing football for the Green Bay Packers. And I think that could be a very messy situation. I mean, when, do, how long do you wait? I don't have a problem with the window. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is not just a guy who's turning thirty-seven. He's a guy who sometimes runs around like he's still twenty-two in his mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and doesn't necessarily protect himself the way you want a guy in his late thirties to to do that. But I just don't think Jordan Love is the answer. I don't think he's a first round grade. And if you're in that scenario, Herbert's gone, who I mean, there are questions about him. Tua's gone. Joe Burrow's gone. I think now you gotta make you gotta be really smart, you know, in your front office and go. How much better is Jordan Love than Jalen Hurts? Like, how much of a player are we getting compared to a guy that we might select in the third round? Or even a Jake Fromm, let's say, in the second round. Like, is he far and away above those guys? And I don't think anyone can say that he he certainly is. So, uh, I'm fine with the window. A guy like that waiting two or three years. A guy like Hurts waiting two or three years. My problem is... Hertz has proven at two different major schools that he has played against the best competition yeah. at that level in the country and he was great. Right? There are certainly things that you look at and go, he's got that flaw and that flaw. Can he be a great a good NFL quarterback? We'll find out. How do you look at this college, Jordan Love and go, This guy is gonna be whatever in three years? he didn't get better against the competition he faced in the Mountain West. <laughs> right, so I, yeah, I think that, yeah. to me, is like, you're talking about making him, in, making him an NFL quarterback. Can we at least make him a Mountain West star first? <laughs> you don't have that concern with Jalen Hurts, and that's why I think you could have both of those guys sitting on the sideline for three years, and, and Hurts is ready to go, and Jordan Love is still you know a developmental guy and, and ends up being a bust.
2: Yes, yeah. I, I think, overall, that Jalen Hurts has more of the things that correlate to success Production, uh, running ability. That Jordan Love is athletic, but he's not a runner. And yeah. uh, if you're a runner, that can make up for some of your shortcomings. So Sage Rosenfels did a film breakdown of Jalen Hurts and some of the just quarterback one on one mistakes that he made. Like he should have done this read or should have done that read but then he gains 20 yards. <laughs> like, well, yeah. you know, and he still made it work, and maybe you can teach him some of those other things. Um, and he does have uh, the character and the leadership, and he has been battle-tested in a lot of ways. Um, so I like him as a better prospect. The numbers like him as a better prospect. Um, and the the combine likes him as a better prospect. So there, there isn't much that I could say that I like about Jordan Love better. I just wonder, you know, when it's someone like Hertz and he can't play right away, there's no doubt about that, if it makes sense for the Vikings to consider it with the timeline that they have with yeah. Kirk Cousins. And I wonder if it's any clearer than with Aaron Rodgers because you do have the no trade clause element of Kirk Cousins. And I mean, would you keep him for your quarterback for the next two years and then potentially consider having Hurts or? You know, you just wait, and next year there will be another quarterback like Jalen Hurts, who is underrated and underappreciated. Like he's not the last guy who's ever going to be this good of a prospect. And you could wait if you're the Vikings and see where you land, and then do what Green Bay just did. Because I feel yeah. like the Vikings are one year out from making the same exact move that Green Bay did last night.
1: And, and you know what? If if that's the case, I get it. But don't reach to get a guy who's really not a first round prospect, in my opinion. I mean, that'll be, it'll be about the prospect. It'll be about the pick and who you're taking, right? And I think the challenge with Jordan Love, it's not about the process or the timeline. It's about the guy. It's about the player you picked in that spot. Whereas Jalen Hurts, you're right. It could be a long timeline. Is he worth it at this point? But for a franchise that saw Teddy Bridgewater blossom and just gained so much from having that guy around that team, I just think Jalen Hurts is, is a guy that is an asset any way that you measure it. The challenge with Aaron Rodgers in his timeline is the way he plays and the injuries he's had, you don't know how long he's going to play. I mean, we can't look at Tom Brady or even uh, Drew Brees and go, okay, that's the new standard for great quarterbacks. I mean, we don't know with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. So Jordan Love might have to be ready uh, sooner than maybe he anticipates, whereas with Cousins, his track record of being a durable quarterback is really, really good. So you could see it hurts getting picked and everyone kind of knowing, okay, here's the timeline and the plan to see if maybe he amounts to being a, a solid quarterback. I'm going to
2: read a mock draft, and I want you to make some sort of noise when you think it's a good idea for the Vikings to trade up, okay? You can pick whatever okay. noise you want. Uh, this is on ESPN.com, their second round mock. At good. 33, T. Higgins goes to Cincinnati. So we got a little run on receivers here as the Colts take Michael Pittman Jr. guy who was on my list oh, of man five. I liked him. Yeah, oh gosh,
1: a, I like Michael he, Pittman.
2: Yep, he's on my five list of man. guys I think are gonna work out. Uh thirty five is AJ Epinesa to the Detroit okay. Lions. Uh thirty six is your guy, Xavier McKinney. Man. Thirty-seven. Look, this would be just like the Patriots, just like them, to trade back and get a better prospect than uh, the team that they traded with. Antoine Winfield Jr. at thirty-seven. Goodness, You're at, all pro
1: safe. Uh, with no, too. it's just like this is this is
2: classic. <laughs> Whoever made this mock knows exactly what they're doing. Uh, Thirty-eight, Trayvon Diggs to Carolina. Uh, Thirty-nine, DeAndre Swift to the Miami Dolphins. Forty J.K. Dobbins to Houston because of course they would draft a running back uh, yep. when they just traded for a really expensive one. Uh, Forty-one is Denzel Mims who got who was definitely Man. the guy, but he he was the guy that got
1: hyped up and you went yeah, I don't know really yeah you know and, and the, I think the Baylor tag too like oh Baylor's got this explosive offense and that, yep. that helped a little bit of the hype too
2: yep so you haven't made a trade up noise yet. Uh, Forty-two is where they have Ross Blacklock of TCU.
1: He's yeah. the defensive tackle. Now, let me let me just say, I, I didn't make the noise with Xavier McKinney because I don't think they can do it. Yeah. Right? like yep. That's more about what they can do. Yep,
2: yep, I agree. The, you would have to give up a lot, probably both yeah. of your thirds if you're trying to move up that far. 43, Chicago Bears with their first pick. Oh, hi, Chicago. Welcome. Well, Welcome to the mix. Did you <laughs> test your Wi-Fi? Uh, <laughs> they take Grant Delpit, the safety from LSU. 44 is Itergros Matos, another guy that never seemed to me like he was actually going to go in the first. Defensive end from Penn State. Uh, at 45, Jeremy Shin, the safety out of Southern Illinois. 46, might consider the noise here, is Ezra Cleveland, the tackle from Boise ding, State. Ding, 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 uh, okay, ding, all right. Ding, this, ding, is, ding, ding. this is where you're thinking of trading up. That's where we're going. And I agree with you that if Ezra Cleveland makes his way 12 picks away from you and he has the... Potential to fit in perfectly with his athletic profile. I mean, it's that would be one where you could justify spending a little bit of your other draft capital, and it wouldn't. You wouldn't have to go crazy to get there at forty-six.
1: I love a big giant like that. Who, again, he's grading as a top thirty, top twenty-five guy on, on some boards. I think to me, you got to make that move if you can. To get a young guy like that. Assuming, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with the Trent Williams situation, but if you stay where you are, that's certainly where I think you'd have to get on the phone and go, how do we get him?
2: All right. When we come back, storylines for tonight, things you are most excited by, and then we will put on our predictions for the Minnesota Vikings this evening. Six o'clock is when our coverage begins. Myself and Judd Zulgad will go deep into the night here on Score North. We'll be right back on Purple Daily.
3: Score North download Declan Goff for one more half hour here of Purple Daily before Mackie and Judd with Ronnie come up at 4 o'clock. And Score North knows you are spending more time at home during the coronavirus pandemic, and we got your back. Join Score North three different ways while you do your best to stay happy and healthy. Find us on the free Score North app on your phone or tablet, scorenorth.com, or by saying Alexa, open Score North. At ScoreNorth.com, plenty of Vikings coverage to break down. Also, be sure to check out all of our podcasts, including the three-hour draft special we did last night, immediate reactions from the Vikings' first-round draft picks, and why the Vikings won the first round of the draft. You can find all those podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or the free Score North mobile app. Be sure to check out those podcasts wherever. Now we'll get back into Purple Daily with Matthew Collar and Myron Medcalf.
2: Thank you very much, Declan. All right, let's get uh, right into this. Most exciting teams, best storylines for tonight. I'm just going to kick it off here, Myron. Do the Patriots actually pick at 37? And if they do pick at 37, do they draft Jalen Hurts or Jake Fromm or Jacob Eason or some quarterback that we've never heard of and we're like, what, who? And then the guy's <laughs> a Hall of Famer. Uh, what Do they draft a quarterback? At 37, or does Belichick just build out the defense and maybe add a weapon? Like, What is his plan?
1: No one seems to know, right? And I think that's probably the most fascinating thing to to go from having the greatest of all time for the last 20 years to, to this situation. I don't see him drafting a, a quarterback. Uh, I mean, who do you go with? I don't see them getting hurts or, or from or anyone like that. Uh, this is still what was the best defense in the league last year right there with San Francisco, and I think they just keep boosting that side of the ball. Uh, if an Antoine Winfield's there, I think they pick him because I think yeah. that makes them strong on that side of the ball. And you kind of know that's going to be the makeup of your team. We're, we're going to try to be kind of like San Francisco was. We'll be kind of a limited offense, but we'll just make it very difficult for opposing teams to score. So mm. I think that's where they'll go at that pick personally.
2: Well if I would qualify San Francisco as being a limited offense, Myron.
1: Uh, When I say limit, I mean, you know, they kind of did. That running game was a big part of what they did. uh, And and they put, obviously, a good, solid good quarterback in the position to make good plays, but he didn't have to be a superstar every night. That's what I mean. Whoever they have at quarterback uh, is not going to be anything close to what they had under Mr. Brady for 20 years. I
2: I think that uh, what San Francisco did really, really well is they added a so many nice weapons to that offense. I mean, even though like someone like Mostert, we never heard of him, he was a nice yeah. weapon. And then you have Tevin Coleman and uh, getting Emmanuel Sanders was a complete game changer to go along with Debo Samuel. And, and New England would be smart to do something like that, which would be to start stacking up some weapons for whenever they do decide a quarterback is a good idea. I also think if there's one quarterback that is very New Englandy, it's Jake Fromm. It's like the guy just- who has Limited athleticism, his arm yeah. isn't the strongest. But one thing and, and I usually just go with whatever Sage says because he knows what he's talking about, and he breaks down the tape on these guys to a disturbing level. And uh, you know, he broke down a lot of the NFL things that Jake Fromm can do and that he really liked. And and you don't have that Jordan Love six foot five or six foot four massive arm type of athleticism, too, that you would have with Love, but someone who has a chance to step in and be a pretty good quarterback and then gives New England an opportunity to build around that rookie quarterback contract and hope for like a, a game manager in a good way in, yeah. in someone like Jake Fromm. So we'll see on that. Yeah, gonna, I like that. I do think that you know the other plan might be since Belichick is defense at heart, stacking up defensive talent and say, you know what, Brian Hoyer, you go eleven and five because you
1: are going to have the best darn defense <laughs> yes. in the NFL. So they're number one on my list. How about you? Well, let me give you another extremely Patriots like player. That's Jonathan Taylor. Uh, to me, that's the guy that if he's still there, uh, they obviously have James White. Tony mm-hmm. Michelle is kind of you know struggling and make or break year. Very interested to see where Jonathan Taylor ends up going uh, tonight, just because I think that's another guy who could be a first round kind of grade, and he was on, on a number of boards. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see there. Uh, in terms of the team that's picking, I, I kind of want to know what Cleveland continues to do. I mean, they're still an intriguing team. Uh, make a great pick in the first round of to fortify the offensive line we're having some of the same conversations we had last summer about Cleveland and the hype. Clearly they were overhyped, but man, they still have a lot of pieces. And if you look at what they can do, I think they're 41. um, There's going to be so much talent. I just saw Adam Schefter tweeted that one personnel director told him that this is the deepest second round that he's ever seen. Yeah. 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 And, And there's just so many ways. There's just so many opportunities for teams to get better in the second round. And that's usually the case, but Your Xavier McKinney's and Jonathan Taylor's and all these guys, your Swiss, who on paper had really, really high grades. It was just a matter of maybe fits uh, in terms of what happened in the first round. But I'm intrigued by Cleveland because I think they're going to be, if they're not a factor, at least a team that we scrutinize going into next season just because of all the pieces they have in the storylines.
2: And let me switch a gear here and go to just some players that I think are really fascinating uh, because I I don't know where they're going to go. I mentioned Jordan Elliott from Missouri earlier, someone who... I think should be ranked higher on people's boards. I mean, if you prove that you can pressure the passer consistently in college, that is a thing that tends to carry over to the NFL. He's got the athleticism, and I don't know why he doesn't get more attention. Maybe it's because he went to Missouri. I'm not sure. I couldn't find a box he didn't check off. Uh, How about Chase Claypool? Um, This is a guy that is kind of your um, Evan Ingram type very fast maybe even irv smith type but he played wide receiver though you could make the argument that irv smith was in a lot of ways a wide receiver for alabama he was Yeah, he, he did some lining up in the backfield and it's not like he never blocked anyone but he was much much more of a receiving option and then had to be taught how to block this guy ran in the four twos at 200 and not four twos four four two at uh 238 pounds. I mean, That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is That is an incredible <laughs> athlete right there. And, you know, I don't know if the Vikings would be interested after they already drafted another wide receiver, but he's a guy that I kind of just can't wait to see where he goes, because I could see him being very high on someone's board because of how unique he is. Um, but you could also see him being a middle to late type of steal that someone gets in this very deep wide receiver draft. So who's
1: somebody that you kind of can't wait to see where they go? Well, I'm going to stay in the wide receivers. I'm going to say Michael Pittman Jr., who yeah. you know continues to move up draft board, mock draft boards. Uh, he, he's just a guy where you know USC had multiple quarterbacks. I think they played with three different quarterbacks, and here he was a guy who was maybe the one constant uh, they had. He, he's really tough. Uh, he's great after contact. I just think that's a guy where you go, yeah. Jerry Judy is probably a next level guy potentially. There are obviously a really a number of good wide receivers in the first round, but Michael Bittman has that potential to be a solid receiver in somebody's rotation, and I just think that's a guy that I just really enjoy, man. 6'4", 223 pounds, obviously played at a school that went up against Power 5 competition. I'm interested to see if he falls uh, and somebody gets sort of a steal or if he goes sort of right away here tonight, but I think that's a guy where you look at and go, man, if Minnesota, if he were there for Minnesota, you'd have to think long and hard, I think, even though you just picked up another receiver. It'd be hard to pass him up. I look at receivers the same way Mike Zimmer looks at corners is you just
2: can't yes. have too many. Whoever yeah. said like, can you imagine Mark yeah. Rippon being like, I don't know that Ricky Sanders. <laughs> I just don't think I needed him. You know, just yeah. like uh, hopefully people are old enough to get the reference, but you know, yeah. just, uh, I mean the teams who have these great weapons, two, three, four, five receivers. I mean, George Kittle is kind of that for San Francisco last year where yeah. they have multiple running backs who catch the ball. Three, uh, receiving options, a tight end option. I mean, even the great San Francisco 49ers team like, uh, you know, John Taylor is no mess there, right? And then you have uh, Roger Craig out of the backfield, Tom Rathman catching the ball, Jerry Rice like, yeah, it's great to have six or seven people who you can throw it to, right? And so, uh, you know, I think if you are the Vikings and, you know, you like Jefferson a lot, but you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and this guy drops, then, then he could be somebody that you take and you could totally justify two wide receivers when BC Johnson is still your number three. And that's a guy that you see as sort of a fringe, like, yeah, he's on the roster and he could play a little type yeah. of guy. Um, uh, I'm going to go here with Trayvon Diggs. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. first round projections for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, and it's weird how this works sometimes. All of a sudden, I saw him in the second round from everybody. It was like, well, what happened? I, I don't know what Did happened. happened. Didn't Is play any games. Man, yeah. that game he played last week <laughs> uh, played, with his family he, out in the backyard. Their, uh, somebody got taped. Their Easter Sunday game. Oh, like, oh, man, you know, I think he's lacking he, sports. He crushed. This <laughs> Doesn't have that same quick twitch, uh, you know. Yeah. His his auntie jumped over him and scored a like, <laughs> <so, laughs> uh, Un- but Uncle
1: Rick threw for yeah. <laughs> 300 yards.
2: Four that's, touchdowns against him. That's right, Trayvon, <laughs> take that. Uh, <laughs>
1: was that his yeah. uncle? Was that his <laughs> uncle?
2: I don't know. It's just like an uncle voice. Like a standard uh you know when I think about like um when I think about people who have bad takes, I always think yeah. of an uncle voice.
0: Yes. Just like, you know
2: <laughs> Take another lineman. Same. You know? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Dilfer won a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's
1: the, ad- the idea. of someone getting footage of his backyard and knocking him down, he's going over the nerf Bowl you know, right. He loses his confidence completely. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he's still oh, a man. kid to me. Uh, a- <laughs> anyway, so yes, uh, Trayvon Diggs, man. I mean, Alabama shut down corner, lanky guy. Great speed. I mean, he's another one where you would ask, would they do it? I mean, if if somehow he kept dropping down the board, and there are still numerous very good cornerback prospects on the board, including Jalon Johnson, who literally every mock draft thought was uh, going to the Vikings. But uh, if Diggs continues to fall, surprisingly, there's always somebody... Um, You know, if you're the Vikings, you just take them and you say, like, look, whatever happened with your brother happened and you're now going to develop across from Jeff Gladney. And then you you tell Holton Hill, yeah, you can go smoke your weed. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You're you're not starting. (laughs) Yeah,
1: you're not starting anyway. I, I guess I would wonder, though, it'd be hard for a rookie to come into the league to the place where his brother played and then exited the way that he did. And, you know, it'd be unfair in some ways because he'd get a lot of questions, right? He wouldn't be able to – and it wouldn't be his fault. He'd just have to face a number of questions about the history there and what he thought of the franchise. So, I mean, that's not necessarily major stuff in most cases, but I don't know, man. That could be the kind of thing that makes you go, yeah, I don't know if we want to have to deal with that. I'm interested in Kyle Duggan. I know we talked about him earlier, D2 guy. Uh, you know, I played some D2 football, and it's it's amazing, Collar, the, the difference between divisions, right? It, it's amazing. Like, Division two, if you get a guy who's really fast and super athletic, like, he will look like Randy Moss <laughs> yeah, uh, against yeah. D2 competition, right? Because the drop-off is so tremendous from a guy like that. To the rest of us, right? Yes. But when you go up to Division One, I, I remember covering a USC game when I was with the Star being when USC came here and played Minnesota, and I'm standing out on the field, and I'm like, "Wow, man these uh these wide receivers and linebackers out here look." Look pretty big, man. Man, Minnesota <laughs> might have a problem. And then some guy is go- goes, no, no, no. That, that's just their special teams. They're punters and kickers <laughs> and everybody else. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a different, different situation. So I just think that is a major, major leap. And that's a major gamble to go. Okay. The things he was able to do, which really at that level, and I'm a D2 guy and Adam Thiel and I went to the same school. It's almost like you're playing flag football. Against, you know, smaller kids or something like that. You just have such an edge. But now you go to the NFL at that position, especially. I don't know how you make the leap successfully. And what happens when all of a sudden you're not the fastest kid on the playground? So I have a lot of questions about Kyle Duggar, but I also have questions as to maybe there's a staff in Minnesota could be that staff Mm -hmm. that says, no, no, we take guys like that and we turn them into productive players in that league. Like to me, he fits the profile of a Zimmer guy. Like I could see Zimmer picking him today and going, no, no, no. Don't have any concerns about D2. I know what that guy can do and kind of taking a real, real pride in helping him become uh, an effective player at this level. You know, both
2: him and Jeremy Shin have the
1: similar stories. He's Shin is from
2: Southern Illinois, and he has a yeah. freakish athletic profile, and putting a finger on where those guys are going to go and what teams feel like they could develop them into is uh, is both very, very difficult. I also want to point out that you could have entered uncle mode right there as you're like, yeah, I played where Adam Thielen went. You respect me. <laughs> yes.
1: Adam Thielen. Is, I've seen some linebackers. <laughs> Should have saw me against North Dakota State. I was furious.
2: <laughs> division 2 is better than Division 3. Do some math.
1: Listen, there are people (laughs) – the advantage we had is that we played, you know, on the same field during Minnesota Vikings training camp in those days. So, Mm -hmm. like, literally it'd be us on the field, then the Vikings would come on and they would play. So, like, you're walking past these guys every day, man, and it's like your biggest guy who's like the most intimidating force on your team walks by, you know, the undrafted prospect on the Minnesota Vikings (laughs) roster and he's just dwarfed by that guy, and you're like, yeah, it's a – it's a different level, man. That's it's always different
2: that, Always one of my favorite internet things is when people are like, you know what? I mean, I think I could score a couple buckets on an NBA player. And you're like, nope, nope you couldn't. You know, I, could, I, could, I could maybe hold on to a block with somebody for a couple seconds. Like, nope, they'd murder you. You'd be dead. That would be your problem. You would, be would, be dead. Dead. would be That'd be dead. Yep. That death would be your issue. Like, uh, Not the injury list, the death list. I have uh, you know stood close enough to Linvald Joseph and Daniil Hunter to know oh, you're dead. <laughs>
1: like, <so. laughs> Brian McKinney, man. Brian McKinney's, I want to say his second or third year. Uh, at the time, I was working for the school paper, not playing football anymore, and I go into the dorm and all the Vikings are sitting there and I'm trying to play cool. Like I think they, someone told a joke and I laughed along and everyone looked at me like, you're not supposed to be <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, you don't do that. Why are you yeah. laughing? So I was like, hey, Brian, what's up, man? I'm a college kid. I shake his hand. And I remember like his hand nearly went to like my elbow like it was like <laughs> it was like how does a human being that's not like a, a superhero have hands that size and then he stands up and you're just imagining this guy trying to push you 6 feet into the ground and you're like yeah i don't want that problem man and i'm not sure who would but that's the difference in competition and that's something that a Kyle Berger no matter how freakish he is no matter how fast explosive he hasn't seen Anything like that, uh, week in and week out, uh, no,
2: that is for sure. But you know, with the athletic profile and some instincts, some aggressiveness, then you know, you can mold him, but it's probably a couple of year play. So, I don't know if anybody does take a player like him in the second round. He is projected to go there because of his athleticism, but I also think one thing media consistently does is overrates the combine guy. They go, oh, wow, this guy's combine was unreal. He's a second-round pick. (laughs) And the same with Denzel Mims, where I just I never believed that he was a real first-round talent, even though after the combine, all of a sudden, he went from being a third-rounder to a first-rounder. Like You just don't take that big of a jump in real football unless you do something super special. But even DK Metcalf did something super special at the combine, and he ended up going in the second round where they had more of his tape graded. So uh, before we kind of wrap up here, two things to do. Number one, I want to say your network ESPN last night, Myron might've put on the best draft broadcast there's ever been uh, in some ways, because it just offered something very different, like inside the homes, not just sort of, uh, you know, we get a, a, a one second look at them and it's muted and it's, you know, the whole auditorium experience, but really getting the reaction, including the one guy's dad who fell off his chair literally and rolled out of the picture. Uh you know, I'm just you know, there were so many there were so many nice moments. Caesar Ruiz breaking down immediately as his name was called and I, I was trying to sort of focus on what we were doing here on the air, but from just keeping my eyes on the TV. I thought, considering the circumstances, it turned out to be as good as they ever could have dreamed.
1: Yeah, man. I, I've had Zoom calls that weren't that smooth, you know, with, <laughs> with three or four people. So it, it was honestly tremendous, man, to see all the angles. And what was fascinating to me was. It started out as being a bit weird, maybe, just we'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, and honestly, yeah. two, three picks in, it was just sort of the draft, you know? Yeah, it was yeah. it was just sort of, obviously, without the typical crowd experience, live experience, but the emotions were attached to it, you, you know? You could really, you felt like it was an amazing production, man. And I'll tell you what, there's obviously a lot of things going on the, going on in the world, and I work for ESPN, so sure, I'm going to say great things, but... Man, we needed that, man. I can't speak for anybody else, but like sitting in front of my TV yesterday and then today and then tomorrow and just watching these young men, you know, achieve their dreams. Like we haven't felt that, man, in a long, long time in yep. sports and that was good, man. It was good to to be a part of that and the production was Tremendous. The video quality. What, what, what yeah. kind of internet connection does Michael Irvin have? Because he's in, he's in 7K <laughs> or something like that. I'm like, how did they get, how did they get like the burgundy off Michael Irvin's jacket to pop like that? Like it was amazing the quality of the picture.
2: You could see where he uh, dyes his hair still. Like uh, yeah, exactly. like Scotty Pippen. Scotty, come on, bro. Yeah, exactly. pretty Make obvious. Make sure you get yeah. it all if you're going to get it, okay? Get get the roots, quick. Scotty, we know you're just old. Just quit.
1: Uh, <laughs> just Scotty, Scotty has like the the voice of every late night DJ from 1988 yeah. to 1997. <laughs> yes. Like every single one that's Scotty Pippen. It was just one guy. It yeah. was Scotty.
2: Zach Lowe said something on his podcast. He was interviewing Steve Kerr, he's like, "Was his voice soothing as a teammate?" <laughs> like, <laughs> and Steve Kerr's like, well, time stories you know, now, with Scotty. Now that you mention it, like, I guess it kind of was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> time stories with Scotty Pippen. Like Don't that. worry what Michael says about you. <laughs> but could you take him seriously though? Like, you're take down a shot, four. Steve. Like you're, you're down four in the finals, and here's Scotty going. I got it. Like, whoa, whoa, man, come on! I feel like this is basketball. Belichick what are we and about here? Pippen should have a podcast or something. Oh you know, man. He's like-
2: should I draft the quarterback? <laughs> I don't know, man. Take your summer. Scotty
1: would just say Michael. 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 That'd be his response to everything. You know what
2: you should do, Bill? Find you, Michael
1: Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, man. All right. Let's get your, oh. let's get your prediction. How do we end up making <laughs> <laughs> Scotty Pippen no, on the show? Uh, because Scotty didn't deserve
2: that. I know, I know. He's like <laughs> top five players for favorites for me ever, and I'm just oh, destroying yeah. him for the roots. He and, is. As I have gray hairs myself starting to come in at 33. Yeah, me too. Uh, what are you gonna do? But just just because I think Michael Irvin is putting some shoe shine on the on the scalp. Oh, there, he's but, putting. You know. Oh, he's
1: doing the Steve Harvey. Yeah, oh, he's a hundred percent doing it. <laughs> that how, stuff is on the chair. It. It's it's bleeding into everything when the show's over. A hundred percent. Terrible. <laughs> man, I'm just trying to sorry, live his life. Sorry, Mike, we are crushing him on a Friday. He's not a great guy, though, so it's fine.
2: Oh <laughs> man! Uh, your uh, prediction for tonight, if you can gather yourself
1: in Uncle uh, Voice only. Yeah, Uncle Voice only. I, I, I think if it's between Jeremy Chin and Kyle Duggar, I think they get Kyle Duggar. Oh, you think, I, I think they go safety? Interesting. I think. I think because I think the guys they want. At tackle, could be off the board. Yeah. Now, if Ezra Cleveland's there, you you get him. But I think they're going to be in a situation where a lot of needs, best available, and I think they'll go with the guy that they think could be special with the high ceiling. i didn't to get Kyle Duggar, 58. Right.
2: I'll do it in uh, uncle voice. All right. You win the championships in the trenches, Myron. <laughs> You've been around long enough to know. Ezra Cleveland, they trade up for Ezra
1: Cleveland. I like it. I like it, man. <laughs> now, now I was nah, basing that on them staying at fifty-eight. Yeah, now, if they trade up. I think, a different... I, yeah,
2: and I became sort of from yeah, uh, like. You... The East. You yeah, like, what was yeah. that? From Brooklyn or you, you something. Be,
1: you became Grandpa on the porch. Uh, yeah, I overdid it.
2: Uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I really do think it's a better idea to trade up for Ezra Cleveland because you have so much draft stock than it is to go all in for Trent Williams. But,
1: you know, at this but point... But what will they do, though? What do you think? Will they? Will they I, if I, it's there. Imagine you know what? it's there. They can hit the button and get Trent Williams.
2: I think that they go
1: for either Ezra Cleveland
2: or Josh Jones here because... Uh, Of spite. Like, remember on Seinfeld when Jerry brings back a a jacket or something, and they're like, why are you bringing it back? He's like, "Uh, out of spite for the salesperson. Like, yeah, "Yeah, okay, uh, well, now now we'll do it for a third. Now we'll do it for – no, no. Well, why not? (laughs) Spite. Because you guys (laughs) messed around for so long. Now you can just keep your player that doesn't want to play for you and have all of his injury history and everything else. Uh, I do put the odds at 50-50 that they trade for Trent Williams today – But I think there's a better chance that they move up and get another tackle or wait and see if one of them falls because the draft is just not one where you want to desperately trade up because there's so many good players. But they have to come away from today with some answer on offensive line, whether it's Williams or Cleveland or Jones or Robert Hunt or whoever it might be. Myron, this was fun. This was One fun. Time, man. I, I hope you have Sorry, an Pippen. enjoyable... Yeah, I, did, I mean, greatest 1B <laughs> player ever. Um, but uh, I hope you have an enjoyable night sitting back watching the draft. I will be here from 6 to question marks with Judd Zolgad, a dangerous proposition, but we will be breaking down the draft again. And Mackie and Judd with Rami set you up for rounds 2 and 3 coming up next here on Score North.
0: This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you.